0: Good morning again, everybody, and happy Easter. Good to see everyone here. You look great, by the way. It's amazing what a day on a calendar will do. Um, uh, I've had an interesting uh, last six months because I've uh, had three of my sons get married in uh, the last three months. Yeah. Last Sunday was number three, and so we, we were out at a, a venue, and uh, I was asked to be the best man for the third time, which is even better, which is really great. And uh, so I'm, s- I'm standing next to Jesse. Jesse and Lauren were getting married, and, uh, and the song starts playing, and Lauren starts c- walking down the aisle with her dad, and I look at Jesse, and he just cracks. And I cry at everything, right? I cry at football games, it's terrible. <laughs> And I look at him, and he's crying. And I went, oh, I'm not going to make this. Like I, I better. I didn't bring tissue. This is going to be really bad. And um, but they weren't tears of sadness, obviously. Deep joy. As soon as we were done with the, the, the uh, ceremony, we uh, went into the reception area, and there was a feast, right, and uh, a party. And there was a lot of kissing, mostly Jesse and Lauren, but um, <laughs> and there was dancing. And I don't dance, so I watched a lot of people dance. And uh, it, was a, it was a party. It, w- it was a celebration. If there was a word that would be a good word to describe those three weddings and my experience with them, and you've had your own, joy. Joy would be the word I would, I would use. I suppose if there's a good word to describe Easter, and this moment, joy would be a good word. Joy. All around the world, I know you know this, millions of people are sitting in rooms or standing wherever they are, and they're doing what we're doing in their way. They're thinking about Jesus and what he accomplished, the fact that this absurd news that he rose from the dead, and he brings life to people who need life, sinners who have no hope without him, and that's a, that's a good story, right? There's a celebration going on all over right now. Here's how the apostle Paul, the reason why we celebrate. Listen to this. That he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared even to me. This is what Paul says. Now, we could, uh, there's a lot in that particular paragraph. We could look at Paul's. Uh, testimony. We could look at all the witnesses. We could look at the facts of the resurrection. They're all in that section, but I, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to just look at one word. That's the whole point of these next 15 minutes. I'm going to look at the word. It was in the first sentence of that paragraph. It's the word gospel. The word gospel in the original language um, in Greek actually means a, a, a story, a news story, a good news story to tell. That's what it means. And and that's why Paul mentions it. Now listen to how Timothy Keller, and he's a pastor in New York City. This listen how he describes how good this good news story is. Listen to this: the essence of all other religions in the world is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say this is what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says, the good news says, that this is what has been done for you in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but every one of us probably admit that that's true. Religion. Let's just use it homogeneously. It presents itself as systems of work and effort, of trying, building man-made ladders to try to appease God, to make ourselves acceptable to God. But here's what we'd have to recognize if you've spent any time at all in that process. That kind of thing does not produce peace. Not lasting peace. Because you're always worried that you haven't done enough like all these systems that say just just make make your good outweigh your bad try really hard do these lists of things what what if what if you left something undone or even worse what if you blow it what if you tried for a while and you failed what if you kind of committed yourself to the process and didn't finish what 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 then what 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 if you have this and I think this is always true in these things, this nagging doubt that you've done enough. Isn't that what religion, in essence, does to us? Isn't that what it says? Here's the message of the good news. The message of the good news is that God has already done every for, everything for us in Jesus. It's already been done. In fact, the way you want to think about this, this good news, this gospel, this Easter day, is a story of good news about his actions, not ours. Isn't that true? Religion says you do it. This story, this day, Easter, is about his actions for us. That's the difference. Listen to how um, Eugene Peterson, he wrote a paraphrase of the scripture. Listen to how he describes this scenario in Romans chapter 5. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person, now he's referring to Adam, the very first man, just as one person did it wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person, referring to Jesus, did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in, in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right all the passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call God's grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death and that's the end of it. Grace. Because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, A life that goes on and on and on. A world, a world without end. The good news, listen, is an announcement, not a prescription. And every other religion in the world says, here's the prescription for you to manage your own problems. The gospel says, no, there's been an announcement. News, good news has happened. Jesus is risen. So let me describe to you just briefly how the Bible says we behave if we believe in that truth. One of the things it says that comes out of us is this joy, ridiculous joy. We become a people of joy. And our burdens that used to overwhelm us now are replaced with what the Scripture says is freedom. And when the Scripture talks about freedom, it's ridiculous freedom. Like you can only dream about this kind of freedom, but this freedom is is undescribable. You're free, absolutely free. And on all these particular obligations that we used to put on ourselves and our systems used to put on us to be and try and become, all gone. What's left is delight. We get joy. That's what the gospel, that's what the good news is. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that Christianity doesn't care about obedience. It does, but it comes at it from a whole different angle. So here's the reality. Believers in Jesus, his death and resurrection, don't obey God to be accepted. We're fully and totally accepted already. It is the reaction of love. That's where commandments come. It's when you've been overwhelmed by a gift you can't believe. You just think of ways to try to, I want to hang out with you. I want to do what you do. I want to be like you. That's how we react. That's the direction of obedience. That's that's what I call gospel obedience, good news o- obedience. Now, I'm always so very certain every Easter, the crowds that come, and so I want to be very sensitive to some of you because you hear me talk about good news and joy, and you go, well, I'm not certain I get how those go together, really. I have my own definition of joy and you're talking about good news and here comes Jesus and I'm a little bit confused. So, so, so let me take a little bit of time to help you with that because you might look at this whole idea of joy and good news and go, well, isn't, isn't Christianity rigid? I mean, isn't it hard? I mean, isn't it just like all the other options out there? It's just its own version of that? Let, let me just come at it from this direction. Let's talk about joy for a second. Let's just admit some facts about joy. Everybody wants joy. You're programmed by God to want joy. You can't help yourself. Joy is the explanation for every good and bad thing that's ever happened to you. Every good and bad thing you've ever been involved in, joy is the reason. Let me, let me spend some time on the good. Joy is the reason why you get married. I'm going to be happy with her or him. Joy is the reason why you buy a house, buy a car. Joy, joy is the reason why you decide to have a baby. Joy is the reason why you take a new job. Joy—all these good things that we experience—is because there's this angst to pursue your own happiness. Joy also happens to be one of the reasons why all the bad stuff happened. To fathers who work so much, they neglect their families. Somewhere, grinding in the background is a di- desire for things, success, and achievement. That means, hey, that's my greatest joy, and they have to pay. Joy is the reason why an addict goes back to his habit. Because maybe there's a pain. Maybe there's something to to make go away, and all I know to do is do that, and it feels better. At least I'm going for joy. I'm I'm pursuing joy. Joy is the reason why people have affairs. Because I don't like my spouse, and I want to replace it. I want to be happy. I I deserve to be happy. Joy is the reason why we incur huge amounts of debt and buying things we can't afford because we think that thing, that thing will make me happy. Joy. Now here, let me just make you feel free. Joy, pursuing your joy, is not the problem. God made you to do that. Here's the problem. You pursue joy and I pursue joy in all the wrong places. I'm wired to do it, but I go to the wrong places. See, Here's here's how these connect. Joy and good news connect in this way. Because the joy you seek and the joy that I seek and the joy that everyone on this planet seeks. Here's what the scriptures tell us and this is the good news. That joy is only found in a relationship with Jesus. Period. The kind of joy that isn't fleeting. The kind of joy that just doesn't last for a minute that makes you have to refinance again or try something new or trade this out. This joy sticks. It's in the good news of, of Jesus. So, so let, me, let me just remind you again how Paul described this good news. He said, now, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That word is, is good news. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. The good news isn't complicated, It's very, very simple but profound. The good news is that God left heaven and came to this earth to give his life for my greatest need, my sin. That's how Paul describes this good news. It's not complicated. So so let me unpack just for a second that phrase that Paul says. I I say or Paul said that Jesus came to die for our sins and you might be sitting here today going time out on our sin thing. Like I I compare my life or that standard by my surroundings or people horizontally comparisons. You say our sin, I look around and go my, our world's messed up. It is sick in its sin. I'm not a terrorist, I'm not a murderer. I don't do those things. And and so you have a hard time seeing yourself as the needy one that, that Paul describes it here. You think I'm not that bad. Well, let me help you for a second because on the backside of this difficult moment is the good news. And here's the difficult moment. You don't have the luxury of measuring your life or behavior by other people because God has a standard. And here's what he says. All have sinned. I've yet to meet the person who comes up to me and says, I'm the exception to that rule. Here I am. Jesus too. No problem. Everybody I know admits they've struggled, fallen, whatever. Here's what else the scripture says. We're all sinners, and the wages of sin is death. And, by the way, if you go, okay, well, I know what I'm supposed to do instinctively. I work harder. I try. And that's that, what we talked on Friday, that good pile, bad pile theology. If I work really hard on my good actions, and my my good actions outweigh my bad actions, then God, whoever that God might be, he will just simply count fairly, and I'll get in. I'll get whatever that comes with the good. Well, let me just bum you out even more because Isaiah the prophet talking from God's vantage point says this, your righteous deeds, the best you can offer are like filthy rags. And it's a little heavier than that because Peter says, here's God's standard. First Peter, you must be holy as I'm holy. So, So now look at it. We're all sinners. The best that we have is like filthy rags to God and he expects us to be perfect. What do you do? How do you respond to that? So, so, so let me tell you about the good news again. Let's run at it again. The good news is that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again to deal with that sin issue that you and I can't deal with. That's the good news. The reason why it's good news starts with this truth. you got to embrace this. Listen. It starts with this. We are really all sinners incapable of helping ourselves. That's the start of the good news. It it is like the person who is struggling with some kind of sickness. If he refuses to admit he's sick, there will be no doctor. Do you understand? In this scenario, you start with this reality. I am a sinner. My righteous deeds, my best acts can't merit God's favor, and he expects me to be perfect, and I fall short. It's also great news for this reason. It's because the gospel, this good news, says that you really, really can be forgiven. That your sins aren't just ignored or glossed over. That's not how God deals with them. He totally eradicates them. And here's how he does it. I'm, I'm gonna use a phrase. He does it by gracious transfer. See, what happens 2,000 years ago on the cross with Jesus Is that every sin of all who would believe, every sin of the past, all the stuff we try to keep out of our minds and keep away from other people, all the sins we're struggling with now and the sins you have yet to invent, every one of them were placed on Jesus as if he was guilty and God opened up heaven's wrath on his son for your sin. And not one sin was left unpunished. And here's the second half of this great transfer. This holiness that God expects, God takes from Jesus his perfect righteousness and he applies it to this sinner. And so all of God's expectations are met. He is just and sin is punished and I am holy because of Christ. You see this wonderful, gracious transfer? It's unbelievable. Listen to how Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1. In him, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. (laughs) Jesus paid our debt. He paid your debt. Can you imagine Seriously, think for a second. Can you imagine all that stuff? All of that stuff you've tried hard to forget? He is forgiven completely in Christ. He has dealt with it so perfectly. The text tells us he'll remember it no more. As far as the east is from the west, that's where God's taken our sin. That's good news, but it gets better. Watch this. This forgiveness that we're talking about, isn't temporary, it's permanent. Here's how Paul describes it Romans 8: there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word no is the strongest use of that word in this text. No, it's like Paul saying, absolutely not, you're ridiculous, shut your mouth, it's finished. It's kind of a paraphrase. It's the most extreme no that Paul can say. There will never be another judgment. Never be condemnation from God again because God condemned his son for us. That's what happened. And so here's what we get. God took all that condemnation on himself that belonged to me. We are justified as if we've never sinned, one sin whatsoever. Therefore, here's how it looks. There is no judgment for innocent people because Jesus was counted guilty. Right? Is that what it says? So let me add one more thought. He died for your sin so that you could get God. That's what the text tells us. You, you and I, according to Genesis one were made in the image of God, formed, fashioned. It's like a potter, you know. He takes clay and he spends some time and he shapes this pot to be and be used as, as he sees fit. God made us that way. He formed us that way. So so let me just tell you what the outcome of him forming us in his image means. It means that your deepest longings, when you're tracking the best in your life, feeling the most satisfied in, in your living, it's when you live with this truth that you live with him as your creator and submitting your life to him. That's when you're in the zone. Everything else is out of place. Let me use this illustration. I have a couple of hobbies, loves in my life. One is uh, I, have, I love guitars. So in my house, probably because of my boys, there's guitars in every room, multiple guitars, everywhere. And in my garage is an old truck and a bunch of tools. I like to wrench on cars. I, I love that. Those are two loves. Now, let's just say for a second, I confused those two. And I went to the house, and there was a fender that had a dent in it. And I went into the house, and I grabbed one of the guitars out of the music room, and I came out and said, well, that dent's going away today. And I just leaned back and pooh hit the fender. I might get a couple of swings, maybe, and the guitar would break. And you would say, no, duh, because that's not what a guitar is for, right? Pretty simple. You and I were made to worship God. That's how he formed us. Now, we worship other things. We worship stuff, worship ourselves. worship people. It's not what we're made for. And here's the result. It never satisfies. There's no joy in it. There might be little moments like I'm happy today and then it just kind of vaporizes because you weren't made for that. Here's what Jesus died for. He died and rose again to bring us back to our senses and back to our God who made us. That's why he died. So, so if I back up in the beginning of our little chat to, to this morning, um, and I read you that Tim Keller quote. Remember him saying that all of the religions were simply advice and Christianity is about news? Remember that? So here's the question I want to leave you with today Is this Easter, is this moment, is it, is it simply about you trying harder and working hard to appease your version of God or your version of expectations for your life? Or. Or is this Easter, does it lead you to rejoice at the good news that you're already as loved as an infinite God could possibly love you, that you're fully accepted and fully forgiven and fully loved in Jesus Christ? Which is it? In other words, is, is this Easter, does it bring you good advice or good news? It's a good question you need to have to answer. So, so, so let me just address some of you. Some of you are listening and you're trying to sort out whether I have any clue what I'm saying. That's fine. I get this. But, but let me just, just kind of make an obvious point. If you live based on advice, like this is Christianity, it's just another one of the many. Helpful tips. Life will be better. If it's just about advice, then I'm going to make some assumptions about your experience. There isn't real peace. You might have moments, but it doesn't last. And the kind of peace that the Bible describes, like unspeakable peace, beyond the ability to express kind of peace, joy that sinks down and full of glory, that kind of joy, you have to admit, if you're just treating this thing like advice, this is one of the many things you're going to consider as an option, then you're not one of those people who knows the good news and joy is not the result. You are probably in a constant perf- pursuit of answers to try to sort it out because God built you to chase after joy. And so you you have things like education. Well, if I get smarter, if I just work hard at learning other things, maybe I'll feel more significant then. Or, or maybe you're one of those people who believe in self-discovery and I'm just waiting for the next bend around the turn and then I'll find something. Or, or maybe you live open-minded. Like I, Christianity is way too narrow for me. So I'm just open to anything every time. And and, and maybe that's you. Well, I just, I just know if you're one of those advice people, you have to be honest. Peace is, peace is shallow and joy isn't there. So, the good news is totally different. The good news that we read tonight in Paul's letter. The good news is an announcement about new beginnings. Life eternal life with God, healing forever, joy unspeakable and flow of glory. So all I want to say to you today, when we're singing these songs about Jesus and there's a whole bunch of people who love him, I'm just asking you to consider your life. And if you find yourself lacking this joy, turn to Christ, the author of joy. Find your joy in him. That's the good news. That's what Easter's about. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Christ, our Savior. I thank you so much for this moment and this day where we can remember him and the finished work on the cross that you came for our joy. So God, we want to make much of you today and and celebrate the cross and the resurrection as we should. God, help us. If if we are your children, help us really understand the gospel to such a degree that our hearts overflow with joy. If there are people here today who don't understand or maybe have heard for the very first time, my prayer right now is your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts that they might know Christ, that they might know joy. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.